Welcome to Sport Faith Life with Brian Bolt and Chad Carlson, two guys who came together for one common purpose, to think deeply about sport and faith. They are sports scholars, they're coaches, and they're competitive athletes, or at least they were. And together, they've created Sport Faith Life, a conversation that meets at the intersection of sport and faith. Well, so excited again to be back with my partner, Chad Carlson, to discuss today a deadly sin as opposed to a fruit of the Spirit. We've launched a series called The Fruits of the Spirit and the Seven Deadly Sins in Sport, and it's uh, coming out periodically. We began with the fruit of the Spirit, uh, and we will switch now to a deadly sin, and we decided not to take an easy one right? Pride, envy, those seem to be sort of uh, hanging curveballs in uh, when you start thinking about deadly sins in sport. But Chad and I, we're up for a challenge today, and we're going to spend some time thinking about the deadly sin or, or maybe the vice of gluttony. And to be honest with you, Chad, I, I don't know where this conversation is going, but this ought to be fun. We're going to talk about Gluttony and sport, and uh, I, I think I mentioned th- there are people that talk about the deadly sins, and others that talk about it more as a vice. Uh, and and we're going to use those not completely interchangeably today, but just I think it's helpful to think about a vice as a habit, something that's practiced, something that you, um, if you practice a good thing, it could be a fruit of the spirit. If you practice something that's not good for you. Uh, it could be a vice, and uh, it could lead to deadly consequences for sure, and even spiritual deadness. And so I think it's okay to refer to them that way, but also we're going to take some license here and try to apply this to sport. Uh, Chad, we're starting with gluttony. What, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a broad yeah. question, right? I mean, we, we definitely uh, gave ourselves a challenge in this first one, and this, it's interesting because on the face of it, gluttony and sport don't like they, they operate in separate spheres. And yet there's probably also this this one common thing that we might think about when confronted with these two potentially separate entities. Right. And that is if, if gluttony is, um, you know, a- excess of, you know, eating too much food, whatever, you know, like like being greedy related to food. Aren't many of our athletes trying to become the biggest, the strongest? You know, that requires the consumption of calories and a lot of them. And so, you know, in my mind, that's kind of the first thing that enters my thoughts when when talking about gluttony and sport is just, we just have a lot of, and I, I remember from my own experiences too, right? Uh, as I'm a skinny guy, I, I always wanted to put on muscle. And so I went through periods in my life when I, I ate an, an incredible amount of food. And so what's the sin? What's the vice there? Well, it's, it, it seems like, you know, overeating, there's something about my own behavior of eating to excess. And then something about the fact that if I'm eating to excess, that means that um, there's less food available theoretically for those in greater need or, you know, I'm misusing my um, my my resources in buying too much food, whatever else. So those are just some sort of shallow 
doorways into this topic that that I see. How yeah, about you, I think Brian? Uh, that was one of the things I thought about as well. Just the the athlete himself or herself um, and the needs of that athlete to perform at a high level, and then also the the sort of disproportionate consumption that um, works its way around sport, uh, partially because um, of the need for the for the body to grow in size, right? So the question that we can ask ourselves, and, and I think we can answer this too so that our listeners know, like in the end, we we may not say that ultimately this is a bad thing, let's stop. Like that's a, very, that's a different question here. But I think it's worth peeling it back and, and asking this question of whether or not, to what end? To what end are we building our bodies the to to be this performance machine, um, and and what are the losses or what are the consequences of doing that? And like you said, that it it is very um, self centered in some ways. It is um, it it it's really not thinking much about the community uh, when we think about the consumption of food, and it it is no in no way. Uh, related to other aspects of life where in, in terms of what it takes to sustain ourselves. Obviously, eating is was built into uh, who we are as humans and even delighting in, in eating, right? There, there are good foods. There are good foods here in the garden, uh, those that are uh, delightful for you to eat, right? Those sorts of things. Just don't eat this one. Uh, but this idea that, you know, sport requires us to go so far beyond that. And you and I have been in situations, too, where the training table and, and I think the ones that we've seen have been much smaller than, than some of the like higher end uh, food consumption habits. I just think about, you know, my university just added a football team and we had to estimate what it's going to cost to feed the football team for two weeks. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that is a that's quite a overwhelming um number and you're like wow this is amazing right it, these are these are big people that uh are attempting to get bigger and uh, we have a whole industry built up around it so i do think just the general idea of an athlete uh and the athlete's needs and then burning it off as fast as you can like burning it through way more movement than a, a human needs so that we can perform well in sport. So I think it's it's kind of interesting to think about it that way. The other thing that I uh, immediately, in terms of shallow entry points, thought of was uh, fanaticism, right? And some of the consumption that goes around the spectacle of sport. So there's gluttony in both food and drink in uh, in in and around athletic events. And it's kind of built into the DNA, right? It's built into how we experience sport, what we think about sport, uh, certainly how we think about the festivity of attending a game, attend, attending a uh, uh, an opportunity, like before the game, uh, all the consumption that happens. During the game, all the consumption that happens. And so a tailgate, for instance. Um, and so these are... It's going to sound very killjoy-ish for us to bring these things up, but I, I think uh, these are cultures that may lend themselves to the vice of gluttony. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I, I love how you mentioned 
the entry point into thinking about gluttony anyways. And you mentioned that it's, you know, it's excessive eating, um, but eating is a behavior that we, we have to do anyways, right? So we're just talking about differences by degree here. And that's some of what makes this difficult is that all people have to eat, all athletes have to eat. And in fact, since athletes are um, more physically active than the normal human being, they theoretically then have to eat more in order to maintain the, the type of body that, that is required to withstand the rigors of, of their training. So the other night I'm talking to the 16 year old who's a swimmer an exceptional swimmer and beginning to, um, to get recruited by, you know, schools all over the country and, and, and exceptional swimmer, like I said, and a kid that hasn't hit his physical peak yet. So he's a 16 year old, but he's going to, he's got a lot of growing yet to do. He said he consumes about 6,000 calories a day, <laughs> which is like unbelievable for, I mean, a 16 year old who's got a high metabolism anyways, but a kid that, so he's, he's training in the pool yeah. twice a day. He's also doing a strength or a land workout every single day. Plus he's going to school all day long and he's a normal growing boy anyways. Right. So 6,000 calories. And it, it sort of reminds me of the saying that uh, some of my swimmers as students would tell me over the years, and the saying is this, if you see a calorie, <laughs> eat it <laughs> because you're going to need it, right? You just burn, you burn so much there. So, so like, I'm, I'm trying to think about what this kid's, you know, intake is, his nutritional intake. And a lot of it's really good food that he's eating, but so much of it. And right. Is there a way for us to like condone that type of behavior when we think about gluttony as being a vice? Well, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about that while I'm, I'm talking to him, the other night. Meanwhile, I got a, a, I got a bin of popcorn in my hand that I'm eating because mm. I'm just bored in between a couple of, of high school basketball games. You know, I, I didn't need to eat that, but I was just like looking for something to do. And that's, that's what people do. You go to the concession stand and you buy something. But if I was at home that night, I certainly wouldn't have eaten an entire bin of, of popcorn. I wouldn't have had anything probably. So, you know, here I am with a big plank in my own eye trying to pick <laughs> out the, you know, the, the toothpick in his eye follow that saying a little bit. Yeah, it's, uh, I think the swimmer example is a great example. And when we start to just put numbers on it, it is surprising to us. The, I mean, if you've, if you've had a teenage boy in your house before and just the general growth that's happening, but if you add the, particularly the intense swimming is a great example, right? Um, just the, the amount of hours they spend in the pool and the the burning off of calories, uh, all in an attempt to get just a little bit faster, right? And what is required to, to do that? Well, uh, a lot of nutrition, just a lot of food. And is a lot of food gluttony? I'm not sure that we would define it that way. Like if, if your output and input are equal or, um, you know, appropriate to the lifestyle that you're in or the the pursuits that you're in would we call that gluttony i don't i don't know that we would necessarily on an individual scale but as we start thinking just broadly about how that consumption works out and uh, particularly in in a place of scarcity if there is scarcity right so we start thinking about um you know just larger choices that affect this one and these larger choices are having a society built around sport and built around performance in sport and so on. So I think it's worthwhile to bring um, that up. I think if we push it a little further, 
we start getting into maybe a disposition that isn't so much about consumption and it's more about uh, our spiritual approach to food uh, or, or anything else uh, that masters us uh, or being mastered by desire, uh, mastered by some sort of um, craving that we have. And I think there's, there's great examples of uh, certain vices overtaking uh, any, even biblical characters, where uh, certain things can, can, can overtake you. And it might be something external from the outside. It may be something internal, where we're mastered by a, a particular pleasure, whatever that is. And in this case, it could be food. Uh, and we do also have examples of people... Uh, trying to overcome that, right? Overcome or master that through uh, ascetic practices, through dietary practices, um, through reminders. And I wonder if you could speak to that, just the value of trying to intervene into our appetites, our cravings, our desires intentionally as a math, as a method of working sort of on our spiritual disposition toward, toward food and other things. Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. I think, especially with gluttony, when really what we're talking about is addictive behavior, right? We're, we're, we're hanging on to, right. If we, if we want to look at fruits of the spirit, as we talked about this analogy last time, the idea that it's fruit is that it's coming, it's coming from a rich source, right? So something's coming through the tree, through the branches that then uh, flowers or, you know, it pre, it creates something beautiful and something tasty and something that people appreciate and something that's good. And so then if it, what, what is a vice then? A vice is something that really, that, that clamps you down and constrains the movement of something, right? It, it, it makes it so that it can't be free. And that's really what's going on here is I think we have these, these be, you know, uh, gluttony would be in, in some sense, you know, an, an addiction to, to eating too much or to, or to not being able to, to live freely because of one's, um, need for cravings for food and that sort of thing. I, I think about the ways in which this happens in my family, and it's actually on my mind right now as we as we enter into the season of Lent, right, right. where people oftentimes are giving up certain things to prove that they have the discipline needed to be able to focus on Jesus Christ. And so my wife and I are giving up so, soda pop for for Lent. Um, we call it pop here, but I uh, I don't want that to sound awkward to some of our listeners who don't call it that. So we're giving up pop and. We, we were never big pop drinkers, but then all of a sudden COVID came around and, and we couldn't go out to restaurants anymore, which is usually where we would drink pop. We never really had it in the house. Well, then now that we're not leaving the house, uh, we're ordering it in for groceries. And so we have pop in the house. Well, when you have pop in the house, you drink it, you just, you, you drink <laughs> it because it's there and because, yep, we're not, we're not strong enough people to just let it sit in the refrigerator for a long time. And of course we can logic our way out of that by saying, well, it's going to lose its, its carbonation, its fizziness if we just let it sit after it's been open. So we have to drink it quickly. So that gets us into this, you know, this, it's not really an addictive, an addiction that we have, but we certainly are living less healthy when we have it in the house. So we're going to go through the season of Lent without having it. And I think that that speaks to your point. The idea is that we're we're, we're trying to, to promote our, our ability to trust in Jesus Christ and and the ability to avoid the vices that don't allow us to move freely is is the point of this and that's what the point of of gluttony is. Yeah, and I think I love the way you describe that as uh, something that's holding or clamping you down. And uh, we don't think about it that way, but 
when you're hungry, when you have a craving, when you have a desire um, and your routine is broken, and some, it's amazing how our bodily routines, right, those that coffee in the morning, um, those sorts of things, if we don't get them, it changes us entirely, right? It changes our dispositions. Uh, and it, it is a reminder of how uh, we lack freedom based on just our regular appetites and our routines. And I think that's been the value to be as well of, of some of the things like uh, Lent, um, things that I've let go and Lent, different times when I practiced fasting. Uh, those have been uh, moments where my awareness of my dependency becomes uh, much sharper. Food is such an easy one, right? Not easy in terms of doing it, but it's right there in front of us. We eat every day. It's built into our routine. We know it's a good thing that can become a bad thing. And so I think food is a great example of how we can uh, practice some disciplines that help remind us about gratitude, about also freedom, this idea that I don't want to be beholden to something. And so we get this opportunity to, to give some things up um, and voluntarily, right? We give these things up, not out of necessity. We give them up uh, for the purpose of sharpening ourselves in a particular way. And I think that, that uh, those practices have been really good uh, reminders in my life uh, that, wow, what a weak person ultimately my will is, right? How, how weak I am. And uh, it's it kind of hits you right in the face, right? Yeah. No, it absolutely does. And I think the the difficulty in the world of sport with all this is that we have athletes that are so beholden to the training habits and these can be such, you know, good or well-intentioned habits that are created, at least, you know, they're leading to particular goals that they have. So there's really actually in the grand scheme of things, quite positive behavior from a, from a psychological standpoint. And yet when we're beholden to certain things that take our focus off of Jesus Christ, that's when it becomes more difficult, right? And when we begin calling things vices, that we're beholden to that. So when we have a swimmer, for instance, who is in the pool 360 days a year, training twice a day, that, uh, you know, training to to exhaustion and, and in need of, of caloric reinforcement at high levels, you know, there's there's just, it's really difficult to sort of take a day off to prove or to say, you know what, I can, I can still be the best that I can be. I can still be training, but I really want to make sure that my number one thing is my number one thing. And we get so beholden to some of these habits, some of these vices, our training programs, right? That can oftentimes take our focus off of what it should be. I'm thinking of uh, of uh, sort of a, a national caliber runner that I have in my class right now who, who just says, I I admit I'm, I'm selfish. I, I look out for myself. I have to be mm. in the world of running. If I'm going to be my best, I need to control the things that are helping me to become my best. And that includes... Uh, how she eats, that includes how she sleeps, that includes how she trains, all of those things uh, admittedly force her to be a little bit more focused on herself than what she would like to be. And she mentioned that just in a paper recently that, that, she, um, that she wrote for me. And I really appreciate mm -hmm. the candor. And it also may be a little bit sad to recognize that that's, that, is, that is the case. That's sort of the culture of, of sport, especially individual sports you know, where, where you are, are in control, even if you're competing as part of a team, it's your own individual performance that does something. So th there was something that really spoke to me in a deep way 
uh, through what she said. Yeah, I love that example. It um, it just highlights that in sport there are needs that the body needs, and when we train with a particular routine and we do that over and over and over again, we're doing exactly what people rec- recognize as as helpful in terms of developing good habits, right? And because it's an acceptable habit, it's something that is um, revered in society. We only see the positive side, or particularly the outside person sees the positive side, right? It's typically the athlete themselves that might look at it and just say, "You truly, you just don't understand the sacrifice. Um, in prioritizing my life this way, there is a substantial amount of sacrifice. Uh, and maybe even some, um, you know, creation of of vices or bad habits that they'll deal with uh, through later aspects of life. And so I think it's it's good to listen to athletes that are uh, willing to be that reflective. I really applaud your student as well for spending a little time sort of really digging into what am I doing here? Uh, often it comes later, right? It most of the time comes after you're done, after you have you know, uh, pushed your body as far as you possibly can, and you're no longer competitive. And then you look back and go, why? Mm -hmm. Right. It's often the person who at the end of their career says, you know, I should have spent more time with my family, right? It's not in the moment. And so good for this student to start reflecting on that now in the midst of uh, a performance season or a, uh, a performance, um, uh, peak during the student's life. So I, I think that that is worthwhile for us to raise that with our athletes, raise that with our students, and just get them to consider the consequences of the choices that they're making or that are being made for them as they think about, as, as they participate in a particular sport. I think of, uh, I'm about to, to take my golf team uh, on their spring break trip, and it, it happens every year. But um, by the end, I'll be really, really annoyed with feeding them. Uh, that's my role, right? <laughs> and I just, I'm not that there. And, and by the end, I, I accuse them all of being overly food motivated, right? They love to eat so much, right? And I'm not there for that, right? I'm there for them to get better at golf, right? I'm not there to, to do that. But um it, it does strike me that um, it is not always – glutton is not the big person necessarily. It's not the person who's overweight. Uh, you can be a glutton in even in your particularity potentially that y- you need food served a particular way. And I'm not talking about um, you know having a bad reaction, some sort of um, allergy or something like that. I'm talking about just uh, how we refined ourselves so much that um, this has become mm-hmm. uh, a demand rather than a, uh, gratitude. And I, I think there are a lot of different uh, ways that we think about food that that might be a little unhealthy. Um, and I, I, it's probably me that uh, I'm definitely unhealthy when I think about you know when I get grumpy that they want to eat again, right? So. But I do think that that food is is a bit of an indicator um, about uh, regarding how we're motivated and our need for motivation. Um, how often do people give themselves a psychological um, sort of reward 
for something and it is it's food right mm-hmm. um so it is interesting how food dominates um not only uh how we sustain ourselves but also like some of our motivations for other parts of life yeah boy that hits me you know deep in my heart we we talk about this a lot at my household and you know, i i i grew up with you know, if, if someone in my family was going to offer me a bribe to try to, to do better in a, you know, in my training for a particular sport or whatever else, or I'll bet you can't do this, or I'll bet, bet you can't do that many push-ups or this or that. The reward was always food, <laughs> you know, dessert. We're going to go get ice cream, whatever. Grandma will make a cake, you know, what whatever else it was. And and that's sort of been passed along to the point where, like, there's something in my in my family's genetics that we just have have, have sweet tooths, sweet teeth. I guess. <laughs> so my kids, you know, anytime we, anytime we so much as drive within a mile of their favorite like dessert places, they, they got, they have to ask. It's almost like an impulse. Like, Hey, can we go, can we go here? I mean, it, it might be like nine in the morning. Hey, can we get, can we get ice cream today from, from this place? And, um, so I, yeah, I wonder about some of that cultural stuff, right? And it's hard to say that, you know, and we're not saying that that food is all bad, of course, because there's something that is socially and from a family perspective really special about, you know, we congregate around meals. After all, that's what the breaking of the bread and, and the pouring of the wine is in the Christian faith, right? It, it's it's essentially, uh, it's it's meal-based, it's food-based. So we're not, like, we're not just throwing out the baby with the bathwater here by any means, but I think we're trying to talk about the ways in which our focus and our motivations uh, change and are impacted by, by food. And I, I'm, I'm right there with you, Brian. So like, how do you deal with that with your with your golf team? Are they all gluttonous? Or yeah, what? I don't know the answer. I, I certainly can't accuse them all of being gluttonous, um, but I can like it. It it just strikes me sometime um, how important it is, and maybe it's a stage of life because uh, I see it in my son as well, and he's about the same age. So, uh, just the idea that this is um, this is more important to me today than anything else. Where are we eating coach? Uh, and so it's not, are we eating? Yes, we're, we're eating, but where are we eating? And that's going to make or break my day. And that's just interesting. That's interesting to me. Um, but yeah, that's all right. I've earned the reputation as the guy who doesn't, doesn't feed them after a bad performance. So that's probably not good either. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you're, it's a, a forced fast. There you go. Let's think about it. Here we go. Well, I didn't think that uh, we could find a whole lot in this onion as we peeled it back, but uh, we, we did make some connections, but I'm sure we left a lot on the table. Boy, I'm killing the puns today. So I think uh, it's been interesting for us to, to start thinking about this uh, vice or deadly sin and I think as we uh, go back and think about it, there were there's those surface level reactions that we get that I think sport uh, needs to grapple with from time to time as we think about consumption and we think about the habits we're creating for athletes uh, in when they're young and and as we continue. But also, I just think this 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 uh, sense of being controlled. Uh, by something other than our relationship with Christ. And gluttony is just one example of how that might happen. 
or food uh, or drink or um, maybe the desire for both of those things can take an excessive place in our lives. So I, I'm, uh, I'm glad we had this conversation. I'm sure we just barely got started. Uh, Chad, do you have any final thoughts? It is my hope that Calvin University, Brian's institution, as they begin for the first time in history, having a football program, that they may be the only school in the entire world, well, the country at least, to be able to, how am I going to say this here, to control the gluttonous motivations. <laughs> uh, I don't know what I, I don't know if I'm going in the right direction there, but I will say you, yeah. you guys have an opportunity. You know, we, we, we were just talking about, about football for, at, the, at the beginning here as being sort of the sport where we see so much consumption. I'm not just thinking of the athletes, but of course there's tailgating, there's all those mm-hmm. things going on. How much more food will 80 freshman males every year on the football team eat from the cafeteria? All those questions. I'm excited for your school to be able to think through those, knowing full well that there's something deeper at hand. It has to do with discipline and it has to do with focusing on our faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah. I'm going to take that with uh, (laughs) all the charity that I can possibly muster (laughs) as the football players from That's how it was school, presented. Yeah. Uh, push us around. That'll be fabulous. I, uh, we'll be 160 <laughs> pounds soaking wet, and uh, but we'll be healthy in terms of our uh, approach to gluttony. Uh, thanks very much, and uh, thanks for joining us this time on Sport Faith Life. Thanks for tuning in to the Sport Faith Life podcast, a conversation at the intersection of sport and faith. Read the corresponding blog post and learn more about us at sportfaithlife.com. Listen to more of our podcasts on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and follow us on social media to stay up to date with everything sport, faith, life.